No doubt about it, fall is in the air. This is a great time to gather around the fire pit, have some casual conversation and meaningful interaction. So thank you so much for coming, friends. Go ahead and take a seat. I'm going to run inside and get us all some warm, tasty beverages like hot cocoa and coffee. I'll be right back. Well, you're listening to Guad.Rocks, God the World and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, you got it, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. I am very excited about this episode. I know I've said that in the past, but I'm telling you, friend, that this episode is super powerful. It's longer than usual, but I encourage you, please listen to the very end. It's power-packed at the end. This is Season 12, Episode 255, Title: When the Levee Breaks. Subtitle, Listen to the Music, Number 15. Without conscious intention, I realize that I have had a sub-series running through this podcast channel since the beginning. It is podcasts that are named because of a song that comes into my head that seems to fit the title tag uh, for the particular episode, or the podcast is an applied analysis from lyrics on the song itself. It's just how my mind works. So this is actually episode number 15 of the sub-series, Listen to the Music, which is itself a song recorded by the rock band The Doobie Brothers in 1971-72 and released on July 19, 1972. The songwriter and lead singer on the song was Tom Johnston. I had the privilege of seeing the Doobie Brothers after Tom Johnston had rejoined the group as the lead singer at the City of Euless Annual Arbor Days Festival. There were about 10,000 people in the field there in Euless that day, or actually that evening. My friend, their harmony is amazing. It's kind of a side note, but I tell you, it's just fascinating to see them live. Someone joked that they were probably actually better than they were live the first time because it was clear on stage that all of these people had their minds together, their, their hearts together. They weren't strung out on drugs. They were very clear-minded and absolutely amazing. But on to this episode in front of us here. Please listen to what I'm about to say. This is a serious episode, which on the front end has some hard truths in it, that without listening to the whole podcast, you might be inclined to say to me, Kenny, I thought this podcast was meant to advance the peace of Christ in my heart in the midst of this agitated world. My friend, I guarantee you that any tension you might feel on the front end of this podcast will be greatly resolved by the end. Think of it like a suspenseful movie that resolves at the end. Here we go. The untitled fourth studio album by the English rock band Led Zeppelin, commonly known as Led Zeppelin IV, was released on the 8th of November 1971 by Atlantic Records. It was produced by guitarist Jimmy Page, recorded between December 1970 and February 1971. So about three months worth of recording mostly in England at the country house Headley Grange. The album was a commercial and critical success and is Led Zeppelin's best-selling album, shipping over 37 million copies worldwide. The album is notable for featuring Stairway to Heaven, which has been described as the band's signature song. Headley Grange inspired the band, allowing them to try different arrangements of material and create songs in various styles. There was one cover song, a bluesy hard rock reinterpretation of the Memphis Minnie blues song, When the Levee Breaks. Led Zeppelin's rendition of Memphis Minnie's song features an intro drum solo, a very notable, renowned drum solo, a distinctive pounding drum beat by John Bonham, 
recorded in a three-story stairwell in the lobby of Headley Grange, which gave the ideal ambiance for the drum sound. The pounding drums, driving guitars, and a mean wailing harmonica all created an emoting, relentless audio storm that exudes the levee which threatens to break, backing a powerful vocal performance by Robert Plant. When the levee breaks comes from a blues song recorded by Memphis Minnie and Kansas Joe McCoy in 1929. Kansas Joe McCoy and Memphis Minnie wrote this song for the 1927 Mississippi floods that destroyed about a half of the Mississippi basin. Hundreds of thousands of people lost everything, and the regional farm suffered major damage. Check out the show notes for all the research links surrounding this song. The article in AmericanSongwriter.com comments, In the Great Mississippi Flood of 1927, the blues duo of Kansas Joe McCoy and Memphis Minnie were well-equipped to use their first-hand observations of the calamity to write and record when the levee breaks. Minnie was already the Mississippi Delta's premier female artist and was an experienced professional musician, but only McCoy sang on When the Levee Breaks while they both played. Their original recordings up-tempo didn't fit the wailing lyrics of despair. The playing seemed more influenced by Piedmont Blues innovator Blind Blake than by the musicians in the Delta, and McCoy's somewhat pedestrian vocal delivery didn't really give the lyric the edge it called for. To give you a better understanding of the angle of this podcast, I encourage you to listen to both versions of this classic Delta Blues song that I've featured in the show notes. There will be a hyperlink. Some key phrases in the song will, If it keeps on raining, levee's going to break. If it keeps on raining, levee's going to break. And the water going to come in and we'll all have no place to stay. It then goes on to say, Well, all last night I sat on the levee and moaned thinking about my baby and my happy home. Later in the lyrics, it says, I worked on the levee, mama, both night and day. I ain't got nobody to keep the water away. And then finally, the ultimate despair, it says, oh, crying won't help you. Praying won't do no good. Whenever the levee breaks, mama, you got to lose. This song came passing through my mind on a YouTube rotation I was listening to recently, and it struck a chord with me. I thought to myself, if it keeps on raining, the levee's gonna break. This is where we are as a nation. It's been raining on us since 9-11. My wife and I just recently talked about the days before 9-11, when we just used to live life. We had jobs, a ministry, warm community with other folks, peace, no one telling us what we could and couldn't do. We obeyed the law and we had full freedom. My sons, who are both in their 30s, don't know the world that my wife and I grew up in. The children of today only know increasing government extension into their lives and a constant compression and imposition on their thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs. It has been 21 years of reigning. We are naive to think that the levee is just going to keep holding. If it keeps on raining, the levee is going to break. There is coming a break. Behind all this rain is a holy God that is allowing all of this to happen to us. Do you see that? But friend, his absence in stopping the rain can be actually a couple of things. It can be a form of quiet disdain and judgment that is rising against our nation. As we will see, the increased rain can actually be the holy God increasing pressure on rebellious man with the intention to try and to get the rebel to turn.
to go back away from the edge of the cliff. At some point, the levee's going to break. When it does break, it's going to be catastrophic. The breach in the levee can be anywhere along the embankment. A levee is an embankment built to prevent the overflow of a river. We are in a world storm that is almost unrivaled. I think it's actually unrivaled in its intensity and scope. Pastor Jack Hibbs, in a recent message, made the point that for the first time during the pandemic, for the first time, the entire world came together and followed instructions to the T without really working together to cooperate. It just happened. My friend, that is unrivaled intensity and scope. It's too comprehensive and globally reaching to be ignored. We have to see that this is not just another thing. It's epic. The realist in me says, hey, get on with it. Embrace the reality of it. Accept it. Does that mean it's the end of the world? Maybe. Yet, for those of us who are younger with beginning families, here's the question. How do we carry on? Friend, the provocation for this podcast came from discussions with my own sons who are in their 30s. And when we talk about the reality, especially when I was working through uh, the sermon series, Plain Revelation, to where I began to see the images that are happening on the planet line up with those things talked about in the book of Revelation and the Old Testament prophecies. Well, then why do we carry on? How can we carry on? How can I continue to raise my family and go to my job and seek to do something significant on the planet if it's all just getting ready to come unwound? So this is the answer. How do we carry on? This is the answer. Do we just stick our heads in the sand and act like there is no storm? Though we see an unavoidable visible failure coming from our perch on the levee? How do we thrive in this situation where the expectation of a bright future is murky and questionable at best and destroyed at the scary worst? I came across something Pastor Richard Baxter wrote hundreds of years ago in the 1600s. Friend, his words, which echo from the past, can equip us to stay the course and live lives that are robust, that are full of gusto. In spite of the 21 years of raining and the threat of a break in the levee, the material that I have adapted, and I've made some modifications to summarize what Baxter is saying. Others, I've just modified the old English language, but this is an open source book. It's in the public domain. And in the show notes, I'll have the hyperlink to the actual book, which is available on Gutenberg.org, which is a public domain website for printed material. The book in which it was published is a Christian directory. This is part one, Christian Ethics or Directions for the Ordering of the Private Actions of Our Hearts and Lives in the Work of Holy Self-Government Unto and Under God. What I'm going to share with you is found in chapter two, which is directions to young Christians or beginners in religion for their establishment and safe proceeding. Friend, that second phrase there is very important. Richard Baxter wrote this for young Christians or beginners in Christianity. Why? For their establishment and safe proceedings. Safe proceeding of moving forward to going on. And this is from Richard Baxter. What I'm sharing with you is in Directory 6 titled, Don't be discouraged at the difficulties and oppositions which will rise up before you when you begin resolvedly to walk with God. Against Discouragements and Trials 
As discouragements keep off multitudes from religion, so they are great temptations to many young beginners to turn back. And as the Israelites in the wilderness, ready to wish themselves again in Egypt, this is in reference to the children of Israel who began to complain to Moses in the desert that they had it better back in Egypt under the slavery control of the Pharaoh. Friend, it was a substantial complaint. Three sorts of discouragements arise before us. Number one, some from the nature of our work. Number two, some from God's trials. And number three, some from the malice of the devil and his instruments. Sometimes the source of discouragements are from all of these. Number one, it's normal for new Christians to be overwhelmed at first with a feeling of heaviness, weariness, or hardship. But as they continue in their walk with Christ in increasing prayer, spiritual growth, and companionship with those who have also set their sights on heaven, by God's grace, you will prevail and live a mortified holy life. We don't need to be too quick in our expectation, but wait with patience in a faithful, diligent use of means and the holy life, that which pleases God. And the holy life, that which pleases God, will be easy and delightful for us. Friend, this is a word to all of us, though Baxter writes it in context to the new Christian. But listen to what he has to say, the train of thought. It's normal for the new Christians to be overwhelmed at first with a feeling of heaviness, weariness, or hardship at first. But as they continue in their walk with Christ, in increasing prayer, spiritual growth, and companionship with those who also have their sights on heaven, by God's grace you will prevail and live a mortified holy life. Don't be too quick in your expectation, but wait with patience and a faithful, diligent use of means, and the holy life, that which pleases God, will be easy and delightful to you afterwards when at first the journey discouraged you with its difficulties. Number two, God himself will have his servants and his graces tried and exercised by difficulties. He never intended us the reward for sitting still, nor the crown of victory without a fight, nor a fight without an enemy and opposition. Therefore, the martyrs had the most glorious crown as having undergone the greatest trial. And shall we presume to murmur at the method of God? And Satan, having liberty to tempt and try us, will quickly raise up storms and waves before us as soon as we are set to sea, which make young beginners often fear that they shall never live to reach the haven. Satan will show us the greatness of our former sins to persuade us that they shall not be pardoned. He will show us the strength of our passions and corruptions to make us think they will never be overcome. He will show us the greatness of the opposition and suffering which we will likely to undergo to make us think we shall never persevere. And he will do his worst to meet us with poverty, losses, crosses, injuries, exasperations, persecutions, and cruelties. Yes, and unkindness from our dearest friends, as he did with Job, to make us think ill of God or of his service. If he can, he will make them our enemies that are of our own household. Let me say that again, friend. If he can, he will make them our enemies that are our own household. He will stir up our own father or mother or husband or wife or brother or sister or children against us to persuade or persecute us from Christ. Therefore, Christ tells us that if we hate not all of these, that is, cannot forsake them and use them as men do hated things, 
when they would turn us from him, we cannot be his disciples. Luke 14, verse 26. Here are some things to consider that will empower us to live a robust life with full gusto in the midst of this grossly agitated world, while the water is lapping over the levee. Friend, in full reality, when all things are considered from God's viewpoint, how little cause we have to be discouraged, though earth and hell should do their worst when we realize these truths. Number one, God is on our side who has all our enemies in his hand and can rebuke them or destroy them in a moment. What is the breath or fury of dust or devils against the Lord Almighty? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 Friend, read often that chapter, Romans chapter 8. And the day we entered into covenant with God through our salvation in Jesus Christ and his covenant with us, we did enter into the most impregnable rock and fortress and housed ourselves in that castle of defense where we may modestly defy all adverse powers of earth or hell. If God cannot save us, he's not God. And if he will not save us, he must break his covenant. Indeed, he may resolve to save us not from affliction and persecution, but in it and by it. But in all these sufferings, we will be more than conquerors through Christ that loves us. That is, it is far more desirable and excellent to conquer by patience and suffering for Christ than to conquer our persecutors in the field by force of arms. Let me say that again. It is far more desirable and excellent to conquer by patience and suffering for Christ than to conquer our persecutors in the field by force of arms. Oh, think on the saints' triumph boastings in their God. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Psalm 56, verses 1 through 5 declares, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Remember Christ's charge in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Fear not them that can kill the body, and after that they have no more power that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. If all the world were on our side, we might yet have cause to fear. But to have God on our side is infinitely more. Number two, Jesus is the captain of our salvation, as Hebrew 2.10 reminds us, and has gone before us the same way himself, the same road we walk, and has conquered it for us, and now is engaged to make us conquerors. And dare we not go on where Christ leads the way? He was perfected through suffering himself and will see that we will not be destroyed by it. How can we draw back when we see his steps and his blood? Number three, friend, this is powerful. We are not to conquer in our own strength, but by the Spirit of God and the power of that grace which is sufficient for us and his strength which appears most in our weakness. 2 Corinthians twelve nineteen, And we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Philippians five thirteen, Be of good cheer. He has overcome the world, John 16, 33. Things to consider that will empower us to live robust lives full of gusto in the midst of this grossly agitated world. Number four, all that are in heaven have gone this way and overcome such oppositions and difficulties as these. 
They were tempted, troubled, scorned, opposed, as well as us, and yet they now triumph in glory. These are they that come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. Revelation 7.14 And friend, all that ever come to heaven who live a normal length life are likely to come this way. Friend, doesn't the company that awaits us in heaven encourage us and the success of those that have overcome before us? Will we have the end which is in heaven and yet refuse the way? Number five, consider how much greater difficulties ungodly people go through. Friend, this is hard to remember because when we look on the surface, we see those around us who are doing great acts of evil who seem to be succeeding. But number five is consider how much greater difficulties ungodly people go through to hell. They have stronger enemies than we have. The devil and wicked men are our enemies, but God himself is theirs. And yet they will go on. Friend, this is one of the most profound things that Richard Baxter says, that we need to consider how much greater difficulties ungodly people go through to hell. This is reality. They have stronger enemies than we have. The devil and wicked men are our enemies, but God himself is theirs, and yet they will go on. Men threaten but to death to discourage you. In other words, they threaten you up to the point of saying, I'm going to kill you. Yet God threatens damnation to discourage them, and yet they go on and are not discouraged. So friend, will we be more afraid of man than sinners are of God and of death or scorns? Then they are of hell? Friend, think about it. In a really strange way, we can watch the tenacity and that just stick out the jaw and I dare you to pop it from the wicked and the, and the ungodly and flip it and say, well, wait, if they can be that determined and have that much stamina and that much strength and that much defiance and that much rebellion and they just go on, my friend, those of us who know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and serve the Almighty God of the universe, we should go on. We will not be more afraid of man than sinners are of God, of death and scorns, than they are of hell. Number six, things that will empower us to live robust lives full of gusto. When we see that our ways please God, He can make our enemies be at peace with us if He sees that it is for our good. Proverbs sixteen seven. If we will fear, fear Him that can damn the soul. Friend, think about the alternative to tuck and run, to bow the knee, to capitulate in fear to the pressures of this world rather than to stand strong and live a life, a robust life full of gusto for Christ. Will we cast our souls on these greater evils by discouragement which can turn us from the way of godliness? Will we run into hell for fear of burning and into everlasting death to escape a temporal death? Will we choose God for our enemy to escape the enmity, hatred, animosity, hostility, and antagonism of man? It all comes down to clear thinking and perspective. We win. Life may be stormy with a lot of hard rain falling and winds howling. We may have an impending sense that the levee is about to break, but we just need to be patient. Trust the God who is here, who is holy, righteous. Friend, that means he always does the right thing. And that means he always does the right thing by us who call him God and Savior. And that we, we should be the people who go on. We need to go on in Christ without fear, 
without ever having a sense of impending failure that drags us off into an eternal hell. Because, friend, it ain't going to happen to us. It's going to happen to our enemies, who are the enemies of Jesus Christ. Number seven, lastly, remember what abundance of mercies we have to sweeten our present life and to make our burden easy to us. We have all that is good for us in this life and the promise of everlasting joy. The Bible says godliness is profitable for all things, 1 Timothy 4.8. What abundance of mercy we have in our bodies, in our homes, in our friends, in names, our souls, which are the greatest. What promises and experiences to refresh us. What liberty of access to God. Let me say that again. Friend, this is paramount. What liberty of access to God. The Bible says we can enter into the very presence of God because if we know Jesus Christ, we have been covered with his sacrificial blood, which has rendered us clean, which has rendered us holy, so that we can have access into the very throne room of God. We have Christ to rejoice in, a heaven to rejoice in. So here's the question. Will we allow a stony or dirty path discourage us more than these shall comfort us? The sum of all this is our work will grow easier and sweeter to us as our skills and strength in the Lord increase. Our enemies are as grasshoppers before us. The power of the Almighty God is engaged by love and promise for our help. We are just pretending to trust in God if we fear the face of man. Isaiah chapter 50 verses 6 through 10 succinctly lays out all that Baxter has been talking about. Let these verses be our life's marching orders into a robust life full of gusto. Listen as I read. You'll hear echoes of Jesus the Messiah. Starting in verse 6, I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us comfort each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. Verse 9, In truth, the Lord will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment. A moth will devour them. Verse 10, Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 7 and 8 says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my instruction. Do not fear disgrace by man, and do not be shattered by their taunts. For moths will devour them like a garment, and worms will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, and my salvation for all generations. The reality is, the person who will turn back or back down or bow the knee to the bully, whoever or whatever it is, because of the derision, ridicule, or anything that another human can do to them, that person is no soldier for Christ. So, for all of us, including those of us who are younger with beginning families, how do we carry on? We go on. We keep on keeping on. The things we strive for are the things of unspeakable glory and worth whatever work or difficulties or sufferings we have to go through to get them. Friend, it will be worth it all when we see our Savior face to face. We will have exuberant joy when that day finally comes. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.